Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. In our classes, there's really this feeling of like, wow, it's an honor and a privilege to be cooking with these women. These women are culinary and cultural lineage holders in their communities. They are the best cooks in their communities. They are the ones who have received this knowledge from their mothers and grandmothers that have been passed down between women mostly as a domestic tradition. And it's an honor to cook with them. You know that saying that's on t-shirts? Empowered women empower women. It's the sort of catchy slogan people say and aspire to. It's the rare human who fully embodies this. Lisa Gross is one such human. She's the founder of a business that at every level values women in ways that are revolutionary. Packed into one company, she has managed to capture what America needs most right now. Meaningful cultural exchange. Putting women at the center of the story. Celebrating diversity. Celebrating immigrants. And being revolutionary by paying women for their talents. Talents, I will add, that have been taken for granted historically as household duties. Lisa approaches her work from a space of abundance. She is intentionally keeping her business small because she knows it's enough. It has worth. The women she employs have worth. She has worth. This work has worth. This is precisely why I love working in food. It is a gateway to express our beliefs, our politics, and what we value in a form that others can touch. It materializes our values. I feel fortunate to interview so many wonderful people on Raising Kale who are doing incredible work. This is one of the most abundant conversations I have had. Lisa may be the richest human I know, and I'm not referring to her bank account. Importantly, she knows she is rich and she's willing to share. She is truly an empowered woman, empowering women. I can't wait for you to be inspired by this powerful story. Our food is linked to obesity, climate change, workers' rights, and so much more. Every bite of food we chew has a story. I'm Amber Stott, food activist and founder of the nonprofit Food Literacy Center. I've worked with legislators, school districts, farmers, and chefs to rewrite the story of our food and improve my community. I want to inspire more people to become food activists. So I've invited my mentors and the activists who inspire me to share their stories and their tips on how to improve our food choices, our communities, and our planet. 
It's time we understand the story behind the food we eat and the impact our food choices have on our health, the environment, and our economy. It's time to start raising kale. As the daughter of a Korean immigrant and a Jewish New Yorker, Lisa Gross was raised on one grandmother's Daojongguk and the other's matzo ball soup. Her company, The League of Kitchens, which employs immigrant women as in-home cooking instructors, is born out of her passion for New York City, her love of cooking, and her connection to the immigrant experience. Lisa is an artist, educator, and social entrepreneur. She lives in Brooklyn with her husband and two daughters. Lisa, welcome to Raising Kale. Hi, Amber. Thanks so much for having me. Absolutely. So first, tell people what League of Kitchens is for folks that may not have heard of it before. So the League of Kitchens is a unique cooking school in New York City and now online where all of our instructors are amazing, exceptional home cooks from all around the world who teach students their family recipes in their own home kitchen. So pre-pandemic and hopefully soon again, students go into the homes of our instructors and right now in our online classes, they teach from their homes. I absolutely love this model, and I want to dive deeply into this. Um, but I also want to know a little bit about you and your background. Like, why did you? Why were you inspired to start this particular business? Yeah, so the idea for the League of Kitchens came out of my own experience. In that, my mother is Korean. She immigrated to the U.S. in the early 1970s. My father is American. He's a Jewish New Yorker of Hungarian Jewish descent. And my Korean grandmother lived with my family when I was growing up, and she would cook all this amazing Korean food all the time. But whenever I wanted to help her in the kitchen, she would always say, oh, don't worry about cooking. You should go study because studying is more important. Mm. And, you know, this is actually something I've learned since I started the company that's actually very common in immigrant families. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother really wanted me to have professional and educational opportunities that she didn't have and really wanted. And also, she didn't really value her own cooking skills because it was sort of taken for granted by her family and her culture, though expected. And so because of that, I never really learned to cook from her. Uh, neither did my mother for the same reason, actually, because mm -hmm. she's the youngest of six and my mom's Two oldest sisters learned everything, but the time my mom came around, my grandmother was like, oh, you're the youngest, whatever, just go do whatever you want, you know, don't worry about this. And then after college, I was really starting to cook for myself for the first time and getting really into cooking and excited about cooking and wanted to cook all of these wonderful dishes from my childhood. And my grandmother had passed away by that time. And so oh. I couldn't learn them from her. And so I tried to teach myself from cookbooks and from the internet and just nothing tasted as good as when my grandmother made it. And I realized that there was something missing and that so often there are these little details or tips or tricks or sort of ways of doing things that are often based on sensory cues that you really need to learn from a person. It's like, at this moment, it should taste like this or smell like this or sound like this or the dough should feel like this. And that those details are often left out of written recipes or videos. And that's really the difference between food that's good and food that's exceptional. And so I kind Absolutely. of had this fantasy of like, oh, I wish there was another Korean grandmother that I could cook with and learn her family recipes and cook with her in her own kitchen. And I kind of stored that idea away. And then uh -huh. I actually went on to do an MFA in participatory public art and socially engaged art. And I was doing a lot of projects involving food and 
previously I also had taught high school English at a private school and I had done food writing for this alternative newspaper in New York and a bunch of other <laughs> things. But um, I was doing all these projects in graduate school involving food and its intersection with social issues. And then after graduate school and I came back to New York City uh, and I was trying to figure out my next project, this idea came back to me and I thought, well, what if I could find amazing home cooks from all around the world living in New York City who could welcome small groups of students into their homes and teach them their family recipes. And that this would be just as much about creating this meaningful opportunity for cross-cultural connection and learning and exchange as it was about this amazing eating, cooking, learning experience. Um, so, and then that was the beginning of League of Kitchens. I love it. It's, it's such a heartfelt, wonderful story. And I think, you know, we do take that for granted that maybe our moms or our grandmas and our favorite recipes, they're always going to be there to mm. cook us our favorite food. Yeah. I think um, we do have that in our, our culture. I think it's only just coming back that we mm. celebrate food mm -hmm. and we celebrate the heritage of where our recipes have come from. And you're just barely beginning to see a resurgence of that. And um so, so talk about how you find these women. Yeah. So we currently have 14 instructors from all over the world. And to find these 14 instructors. So I, I started, we opened for business in February of 2014. So we've been open for quite a while now. And I sent about a year before that hiring and training and setting up the business. Mm -hmm. So the first group of instructors I hired in 2013, and then I've hired more as we've gone along. And over those eight years, really, to find those 14 instructors, I've interviewed hundreds of people. I've done probably at this point close to 75 in-home cooking auditions with the best candidates. And then I hired these 14 women out of that wow. pool because wow. what I'm looking for is not just people who are good home cooks or good cooks, but people who really do everything from scratch using traditional techniques and methods and who are also great hosts, really warm and express themselves through food. You know, that food is really their language and that they are passionate about it and that I see they have the potential to be great teachers and that they're also comfortable mm -hmm. talking about their lives and sharing their stories. And actually, you know, until very recently, they also had to be comfortable hosting groups of American strangers in their home. Yeah, that's huge. Which is another thing. Yeah. yeah. So it's like the Venn diagram <laughs> gets yeah. sort of narrow of, of finding kind of the right people. Yeah. But um you know, when I find someone who is a right, the right fit, it's just great because it's like their dream job and they are perfect for this. I and so that. we found them through all different ways. Um, we have a relationship with the International Rescue Committee and mm -hmm. they have sent us some candidates and we've hired three of our instructors through them. We've posted on Craigslist. Our Argentinian instructor's daughter saw the post on Craigslist. You know, um, various instructors have seen press about us and reached out to us. There's some word of mouth. Um, you know, it's we try to do outreach in every way we can. And then the way people come to us, you know, is a little bit serendipitous. And so are you just in New York or I thought I read you were in L.A. as well? We maybe two or three years ago, we did a kind of six month satellite in L.A., uh, to kind of test the waters. And we had two phenomenal teachers there, but 
it just, it wasn't the right time. And it was difficult to manage from New York. And, you know, so I kind of pulled back and decided to refocus in New York. But I'm very open to potentially reopening LA and other cities sort of as we go. It just, it wasn't the right time. But what's very exciting now actually about teaching online is we now have students from all over the US and all over the world taking our classes. Which is yeah, that's cool. that's pretty incredible. I mean, they're they're certainly the pandemic has not been amazing, but certainly some of these uh, unforeseen yeah. circumstances have helped some businesses come up with yeah. ideas that will probably last past the pandemic. Yes, and actually, like about our online classes, you know, I didn't intend to launch online classes before the pandemic. Early on, like in March, early April, I was like, oh, I don't want to move online. I was so concerned that we would lose what was so special and intimate and unique about our in-person classes. However, mm -hmm. I very quickly realized that the pandemic was not going to be just a few months. And I realized we had to move online to survive. Mm -hmm. So actually what I did is I took online cooking classes at about eight different online cooking schools and programs to kind of see like, what is this thing, online cooking classes? <laughs> And then from there, I was able to figure out, okay, what do I think, you know, some classes are doing really well? What do I feel like we could improve on? What can we bring to this that's unique? And I was so happily surprised the first time we, we ran a kind of test online class to find that it was actually fabulous. And from a culinary education perspective, even better from our in-person classes because oh, wow. everybody all the students are in their own home kitchens with their own stuff, doing mm. every recipe from start to finish themselves. And so even, you know, I have done all our classes with our instructors in person many times. I've cooked with them many times. There are certain dishes of theirs that I was always like a little intimidated to make on my own, but mm -hmm. doing it with them in our online class where they are there live coaching you through each step and you're doing it alongside them like I've made all these dishes, like our um, Uzbek instructor stuffed sambusas, which are kind of these um, like super flaky from scratch pastries stuffed with butternut squash, onion, and cumin seeds oh, that are amazing. Yum. And there's sort of this complicated dough technique that I was like, ah, I feel stressed by dough. But doing it with her step by step, I did it. And they came out amazing. And I was like, wow, I can't believe I did that. And We've heard from our students, actually, that there is this kind of magical moment, like this student from a class last weekend said, um, I heard from one of our staff who was in that class. It was actually also Demir, our Uzbek instructor's other menu, which is for these handmade dumplings, that this woman said, wow, Demir, I feel like you somehow reached through my computer and made all this food and suddenly it appeared like this food <laughs> from somewhere else is here Aww. now. And I'm amazed. That's and great. so there is something actually kind of magical about the online classes that I never would have predicted, but I'm so yeah. grateful for since that is our business right now. Yeah. And talk a little bit more about what students can experience through these, at least right now, online yeah. classes. Um, yeah. what, are, what are some of the dishes and some of the regions? Yeah, definitely. So all of our online classes have a max of 13 students. So they really stay intimate, very participatory. They are two and a half hours. In each online class, we also have an online class supporter staff member who 
basically live edits the views. They do live spotlighting. We have two cameras where our instructors have a laptop for a wide angle and a phone for a close-up. So the class supporter sort of spotlights between those two and the class supporter also types everything that the instructor is doing into the chat Mm -hmm. so like all the measurements are in the chat and they basically manage the tech side so that the instructor can really focus on the cooking the teaching the being present and we actually we start every class with group introductions so this is something that in a way feels very simple but i didn't see in almost any online cooking class and since our classes are so much about community and building community and connection it's so crucial so people everyone introduces themselves just says where they're from and something they're passionate about and the responses are so interesting and it immediately creates this feeling of connection and then the instructors you know just like in their in-person classes they are the queens of their homes you know What's really important about our classes is these are not charity experiences. You know, like sometimes I've talked to some people who have gone to dinners, refugee cooked dinners that I think are wonderful and the money goes to the refugees and it's, they, they play an important role. It sometimes feels like, oh, like this poor refugee, we're going to give them $20 to cook us dinner. And so in Mm -hmm. our classes, there's really this feeling of like, wow, it's an honor and a privilege to be cooking with these women. These women are culinary and cultural lineage holders in their communities. They are the best cooks in their communities. They are the ones who have received this knowledge from their mothers and grandmothers that have been passed down, you know, between women mostly as a domestic tradition for like 10,000 years. And so it's an honor to cook with them. And they are the ones in charge. They are the experts. They are the hosts. They are the teachers. And that really is so important and sort of totally changes the experience. And I think that's what's really special about this model that is such a draw is that you are, I mean, you're creating jobs, you're celebrating, you're you're putting, you know, the price point for these classes is similar to any cooking class that you would yes. take. You're, you have elevated this experience as, you know, it, as equal high as any to other any French culinary institute anywhere. I think that's really important. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I really uh, think you're a kale raiser for coming up with that concept and, and making that a priority. So and I love that you are finding some of the women from International Rescue Agency as well. And that, mm-hmm. for folks who aren't familiar, is a nonprofit that works with refugees who have yeah. recently been located um, to America. So mm-hmm. uh, being able to land a job uh, is so important. So that's really fantastic. Um so talk about, you know, what, what are the women cooking right now? Where do I even start? <laughs> well, we have an amazing Persian instructor named Mab, who actually herself is a political refugee. She is a well-known women's rights and democracy rights activist from Iran who came here as a political refugee. And um, she's teaching two different menus. She's an incredible cook. Both are family recipes. One is... Um, a white bean and dill dish that uses Mm. tons of fresh dill and it's topped with egg at the end, kind of like a shakshuka. Uh And then she teaches how to make a rice with a um, flour tortilla tadig that also gets sprinkled with um, red onions sauteed with ghee and cumin seeds. Oh, wow. That's wonderful. (laughs) 
Um, our Japanese instructor, Aiko, teaches um, a chicken and egg dish that's uh, cooked in this delicious sort of soy, mirin sauce uh, that tops rice, and then a sesame seed green bean dish mm-hmm. to go with it. Um, our Argentinian instructor, she does her grandmother's gnocchi recipe with Aww. the best pesto you'll ever have. Mirta's pesto sauce is like the perfect ratio of everything um, with a wonderful, simple tomato onion salad. And actually, that's another example. You know, I have had her gnocchi many times. I was really nervous about making gnocchi. I'd never attempted it on my own. Mm-hmm. But doing it with her. I made this incredible gnocchi and her recipe is full of these little tips and tricks. Like she steams her potato rather than boiling it. And what that means is that there's much less water in the potato. And so her gnocchi is much lighter and fluffier. Mm. So, you know, all of our instructors, they're full of these little tips and tricks like that, which aren't difficult. Like it's not difficult to steam a potato rather than boil it, but Mm. you need to know to do it. You know, you wouldn't just think of that. Yeah, I love this so much. I'm I'm getting so hungry. <laughs> These dishes sound amazing. And you have great photos of them on the website as well for folks to peruse. And our social um, media. We have we always on session Instagram, but Instagram and Facebook are always sharing great photos of our instructors and their food and throw out your handle so folks can look you up. Uh, at League of Kitchens. Great. After this short break, Lisa will explain how the cultural and political merge through food. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. You kind of touched on this. Um, You said that you have a political refugee and we're in this strange time in America, in this strange climate where, you know, the celebration of immigrant food feels almost like a political act. Mm. Um, Do you sometimes feel like you're on a cultural mission through this work? Yes, definitely. I mean, I think it's definitely a political act and a feminist act. You know, so much of what we're doing is about 
reclaiming, recognizing and celebrating a kind of women's knowledge that hasn't been recognized. You know, as I was saying, this idea of our instructors as culinary and cultural lineage holders, you know, when you look at how culinary knowledge is passed down around the world and, you know, over most of history, generally there's a court culinary tradition, like the food that the aristocracy or the king will eat, which, Mm -hmm. and then there's peasant cooking, which is like the food everyone else eats. Right. And that, that food is like the heart of every cuisine. And Mm -hmm. that food is mostly cooked by women at home. But because this culinary tradition has been a women's tradition, uh, an oral tradition and a domestic tradition, it's really been invisible and very unseen, unvalued, definitely never compensated, but not even really recognized for the depth of knowledge and expertise there. And so we are saying, hey, this is incredibly valuable. It's worth your money to learn from these incredible women. And let's celebrate these ordinary yet extraordinary women for this knowledge and expertise that they have that is equal to any trained chef, if not surpassing, you know, definitely surpassing many trained chefs. That it's not even, it's not like comparing apples and oranges, you know, it's not, it's not the same. And definitely also in terms of the rhetoric and larger conversation around immigrants, you know, so often immigrants are othered or demonized, even in the language used about them, you know, where it's like uh, a flood of immigrants or, you know, like all just a lot of language that's very dehumanizing, obviously. And, you know, what we do is really, again, to recognize and celebrate how much immigrants bring to our country and to humanize them and to create opportunities for real connection and interaction between people who are not immigrants and immigrants, between immigrants of different groups. Because when you take any of our classes, either in person or online, you really get to know the instructor and hear their stories and hear about their childhood, hear about their families. And so some part of the world, you know, my favorite thing that I see on student feedback is so many people say, you know, like especially for our in-person classes, but also for the online classes that it feels a little bit awkward in the beginning or people don't know what's going to come. And by the end, they feel so connected to the instructor and like the instructor is their new favorite aunt or oh. grandmother or cousin. And that some part of the world that previously felt sort of abstract and distant now feels very real and very personal. And when they read about that place, they think, oh, that could be, you know, Demir or Noida or Aiko's cousin or brother or aunt or mother, you know, and, and then also to think about, okay, these are all people who are living here. You know, most of our instructors have been able to become citizens. You know, they are, they are both representing their country of origin and that culture, but also sharing about their experience living in New York city now. And I think that experience of actually getting to know an individual who's from a different country, who's from who is an immigrant is is always the most powerful way to change people's minds. Yeah, it's a, it's a cultural exchange and sharing yes. in in the most human of ways through food, which exactly I, again we forget about the value of this. And I just love that you could have made this a nonprofit, but you valued it as a business, <laughs> and I just am profoundly moved by that um, as mm-hmm. someone who's spent her career in the nonprofit sector mm-hmm. to think, yeah, this work is just as valued as mm-hmm. any company and any business. Right. So mm-hmm. I, I love that you're doing that. Was that ever 
a, a cross um, conversation you had with yourself? Yeah. I mean, I definitely thought, should I start this as a nonprofit? And mm-hmm. I mean, I think there were a few reasons I decided to start it as basically like a small business. But one one reason is because, you know, there are some wonderful nonprofits that work with immigrants and food and they measure their impact through scale. So like how many immigrants or immigrant women have we trained? How many people have gone through our program? And that's wonderful. And that's just a different kind of work. But I realized from the beginning, I didn't want to be operating in that way. You know, of our 14, I've hired... 16 instructors in eight years and 14 are still teaching with me. So two left. So it's so much. Of, and we only hire one instructor per country. Okay. So it's so much about them as individuals and their stories and, you know, creating a platform for them to share their knowledge and expertise. You know, so many of our instructors have, we've been very lucky to be featured in Food and Wine and Sever and Oprah and Martha Stewart Living. And then the, our instructors become these experts that have their recipes featured, you know, in the most premium food publications. And I feel like continuing those relationships and building this incredible community, like these women have also all gotten to know each other and become friends. And it, you know, really feels like a family at this point. That is something I wanted and I think has so much value. And you can't really do that if you're a nonprofit. Like you can't just be like, I'm going to help 16 women. I'm (laughs) going to help 14 women have a really awesome job that's really meaningful to them. That's like, changing a lot of students' minds. I mean, we have taught close to 6,000 students at this point. Wow. So that's, that is a s- amount of impact, you know, scale of impact. But, but, you know, like you can't be like, we've worked with 16 immigrant women in eight years if right, you're going right. to be a nonprofit, and, which is sort of weird. But I, I think, though, I'm, I'm hearing so much abundance in mm. your approach, you know, that 16 women isn't a small number in the in the way you are approaching your work mm. in the way you are connecting them to each other to the mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. to the people experiencing their classes um to just talk about how you bring that abundance mindset to this this project yeah that's interesting um well i feel like so much of what we do both, you know, and we also have a now wonderful staff of class supporters, which I hired in the last year, who are all amazing women too. And then we have a small staff of uh, three part-time people I work with. Um, And both in our internal ways of doing things and in our classes, relationships are the number one most important thing. And, you know, I feel like because we have created this very warm kind, meaningful community for everyone who works in League of Kitchens, our students feel that because the instructors feel so good teaching and they feel so supported and empowered and, um, you know, trusted too. Because I think that's another thing from the beginning in our in-person classes, um, I, there was no staff there. You know, it was just the instructor and six students. So there was no mediation. It was like, I trusted them. I was like, yeah, I'm going to send, we're, we're going to do all the marketing, all the coordination, all the student communications. But once the student arrives at your door, it's on you. You're in charge. You've got the ball. 
and I trust you to do an amazing job. And they do. And, and it's the same with their online classes. I mean, we do have a class supporter there who's staff, but they're really there to support the instructor and manage the technology so the instructor can shine and not be worrying about that. I love this. And so I kind of want to bring it full circle. Do you have a Korean instructor? Well, unfortunately, one of those two who left was our Korean oh. instructor. So anybody who's watching, if you know an amazing Korean home cook in the New York City area, please, who'd be interested in this, please reach out to us. Oh. And I will say, yeah, too, that, you know, we have 14 instructors currently teaching. And when people ask, like, well, what are the, what are the countries that they're from and how did you choose them? And I'll just tell you quickly the 14. Yeah. So I have to think about, I think of where they are geographically, like who's in Brooklyn, who's in Queens. Okay, so <laughs> and who's in, who's in Staten Island. So we have Lebanon, uh, Iran, Uzbekistan, uh, Bangladesh, Iraq, Greece, Indonesia, Russia, Mexico, Argentina, uh, Afghanistan, India, Japan, and Nepal. That is a delicious blend <laughs> of cuisines. But, you know, I'm always looking to hire new people. And I'm, you know, there are, there are certain cuisines that I really am looking for someone. I would love to have a Korean instructor. I'd love to have a Chinese instructor. I'd love to have a West African instructor. Mm. Um, I'd love to have an Ethiopian instructor. I'd love to have a Moroccan instructor. But some of our cuisines that we offer, like Argentinian cuisine, I never thought like, oh, we have to have an Argentinian instructor because it wasn't really on my radar. But when I yeah. met our Argentinian instructor, Mirta, I was just so blown away by her. And when I cooked with her, her cooking, her teaching, her tips, her home filled with Argentinian art and artifacts, her storytelling was so amazing. I was like, okay, we're going to offer Argentinian cooking. And so, you know, I, I'm always looking for the right individual. Yeah. Um, so like anyone listening, watching, who knows someone who would be a good fit in New York City, because I am, even though we're online, I'm still hiring people in New York City, because I hope to and plan to return to also our in-person classes. Like, yeah. please reach out. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, what else can folks do if they're, say, in Canada or Illinois or yeah. California? What what can they do to uh, take an online class, of course. Yeah. Um, are there other things that they can be doing in their communities even? Mm. Well, another really cool thing we, we've seen happen with the online classes is people are organizing family private classes with us as family gatherings, oh, baby showers, it. bridal showers, birthday parties, where because it's online, they can invite people from all over to join. Like we had one woman do a birthday party where she said, this is the first time that all these people from all different parts of my life who live different places could come to my birthday party. Oh, I love and that. We also have been doing a lot of um, team building and classes for companies, especially now as companies go remote and their teams are distributed. Like it's such a fabulous way to bring people back together, to connect, to do one of our private classes. But, you know, I think just beyond like our classes, you know, I always encourage people to think about what are the family recipes in their family that they can capture, write down, you know, video, document yes. in some way before it's too late and to really value that. 
I couldn't agree more. And, and you are not the first guest in this season to say that, actually. Yeah. So this is a theme mm -hmm. we have repeatedly heard. Um, and it is so critical. And did you ever, did your aunts who had learned from your grandma, did they ever capture things that mm. they've been able to pass down to you? Well, the thing is my mom, even though she's one of six siblings, is the only one of her family to come to the U.S. Oh. So I... And I've been to Korea a few times, but I don't know my Korean relatives that well, and I haven't spent that much time there. So I wasn't really able to learn from them, unfortunately. Oh, that's so sad. Yeah. yeah. I hope folks listening. Yeah. Help us find a Korean instructor. Exactly. <laughs> it feels very exactly. ironic that we no longer have a Korean instructor when that was like the origin of this. But I did learn a lot from her for the two years she worked with us, but I would love to find another. Hopefully yeah. we can make that happen through our listeners. <laughs> and um, it's just been such a delight to learn about your company. I just, I'm such a big fan. And is there anything else that you want our listeners to know as we wind up this wonderful time we've had together? Mm -hmm. Well, I will say that another thing we really try to do is through our newsletter in particular and our social media to share our instructors' recipes, tips from them. We just did a newsletter about um, home remedies for kitchen injuries where various instructors gave their cultures home remedies for what to do with cuts and burns. Oh, that cool. was like really fun. Um, What's one of those tips? Can you share? Uh, yeah, our Mexican instructor said put lime juice and salt in a cut, wow. which seems counterintuitive, <laughs> but she said it really helps and that a lot of uh, Mexican kitchen workers and restaurants do that. But our, also our all of our South Asian instructors from India, Bangladesh, and Nepal all said turmeric on cuts, uh -huh. which is very healing. Uh -huh. um, yeah, but so we There's share lots tips. of great, great content and material. And we do a lot about the cultures of our instructors and their holidays. Um, we did a great thing about the food traditions of... Now, ruse in the spring. But every time there are different holidays, we do newsletters about the food traditions of our different instructors. So um, for those of you listening or interested, I definitely sign up for our newsletter. It's leagueofkitchens.com. And it's basically the name means like League of Nations, but League of Kitchens. Love it. And moms and grandmas out there listening, share your recipes yes. with pride. They yes, value. value your skill and your knowledge. Absolutely. Yes. And be patient. Because I, that's the other thing I realized. My Korean, now that I have kids, I have a four-year-old and a six-year-old, uh, now seven, she just turned seven, um, <laughs> is that it also can be kind of annoying to cook with kids because like it slows you down, you just want to do your own thing, but it's so valuable. So especially as the kids get older, or like take yeah. the time to show and do it. Let them video you, ask you questions. Don't try not to get too annoyed when they try to measure. <laughs> it's worth it. Well, I have really enjoyed our time together. Thank you so much for joining me. And thanks for being a kale raiser and inspiring yeah. <laughs> other women to be kale raisers alongside you. Thank you so much. This was so fun to chat with you. I hope you're as inspired by Lisa's story as I am. Be sure to check out her company and sign up for a cooking class. They recently announced a television pilot on the Discovery Network, and I can't wait to watch. Thank you so much for listening to season two of Raising Kale. I feel so fortunate to be your host on this important journey to discover food heroes across our country. We need more people helping with this work, and I hope we've inspired you to get involved. If you want to support this podcast, 
Visit foodliteracycenter.org to learn more and make a donation. As we close this season, I want to thank the team that helps make Raising Kale possible. Kim Kaplan is our producer. Stacy Kaufman is our market manager. Odyssey is our host. Samantha Lysay-Thong and Adriana Guzman provide marketing support. Fleischman Hillard provides PR support and strategy. Greg Berger of Pomegranate Designs created our logo. Amy Nicole Photography took our photos. And a special thanks to you for listening. Be sure to tune in next year to season three as we discover new stories of courage in our food movement from across the nation. We'll speak with people who care about the connection between food and health, cooks, farmers, and more. Next season on Raising Kale. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 